welcome to this episode of the Breeding Life Youth Podcast. The podcast aimed at the youth by the youth. I am your hostess, Gabby Sikora, and in today's episode, I have the larger than life Wade Lee joining me. Hey, evening everyone, evening Gabby, how are we all doing? We are all good on this side, how are you? Nah, I'm being good, I'm good, lots of work. A lot of work this week and running into the next week, I've got quite a lot on my plate. But it's good that you're busy. It keeps you out of trouble. <laughs> Just a little bit sometimes. <laughs> okay, wait. So let's get the ball rolling. I'm excited to get into this. So can you start off by giving us a brief intro into who you are and overall what makes Wade tick? So, I'm Wade Lee. I live on Manyoni Private Game Reserve here in northern KwaZulu-Natal. This area is known as Zululand, and it's it's a really biodiverse area. What makes me tick the most out of everything in nature has to be birds. Recently started getting into my herbs. And a little bit into orchids, although plants are sort of my downfall. Those those do not make me tick so much. Like, uh, <laughs> I'd walk past plants and I would not care. But you won't catch me doing that if it's a bird or a frog or a snake. Well, that's very interesting. I have to be honest, maybe I don't get as excited when it comes to a feathered creature or maybe like a slithery snake now either <laughs> but for me i'd have to say <laughs> it's all things in nature that make me tick look most people like yourself live in the these cities towns and they they have this yearning feeling to get into the bush so that that makes people like yourself enjoy everything in nature um rather than living in it and you sort of take things for disregard you you take things for granted uh which i am very guilty of doing i must say okay well that pretty much brings me to my next question for you so you've lived in the bundus your entire life and i can say that i'm truly truly jealous of that but is it as amazing as many nature lovers believe it to be? Uh, listen, it, it is really, really amazing. And it's it's a really nice way of growing up, experiencing nature in its rawest form. Um, being out here constantly, just learning things that, you know, not many field guards may have in them you seeing things firsthand so i must say it is definitely amazing being out here but there are downfalls to it um one of those being that you you te- you do tend to get bored of uh seeing the same lion the same elephants the same group of impalas outside your house every day day in day out so I'd, I'd say that's pretty much one of the only downfalls that there is to living your entire life in the so-called bundus, as you call it. Okay, that's very interesting of you to say that. Um, I know, for one, my biggest dream 
was always living in the bush, and it still is actually to this day. One thing I've got to admit to doing, and it's pretty funny, I know, <laughs> whenever we come back from a trip to, let's say, the Timbavati, for example, I'll go on Property 24 <laughs> to look at houses for sale in Hoodsprite. <laughs> but a girl's got a dream, I guess, eh? <laughs> Oh no, definitely. We all we all have dreams one day of like owning land in sort of like a private nature reserve or a little concession. I mean, the the hustle and the bustle of the city uh, isn't for everyone, I must say. Okay, so like now kind of relating to my previous question of it, how does a guy like you manage the city? I mean, you've lived in the bush your entire life. So do you feel like a duck out of water? Or do you actually enjoy heading into the city occasionally? How do you find that balance? If I'm being honest with you, I do feel like a duck out of water in the cities. Um, I have no idea how to get around cities. Um, it's It's just a hassle for me. So I don't really enjoy going into the cities all so much, but it does have its upsides of me having friends in the city. So obviously getting out to the cities, the bonus or the nice thing is to see friends that I haven't seen for a while. But if I could, could not go into the city, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go in it at all if I didn't have to. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you have to sort of change lifestyle when you get to a certain age and if you go into a certain line of work, obviously that's going to mean a lifestyle change and that might draw you out into the city where you might not at that particular time want to be. But you you learn and you adapt. And I mean, if I got a job in the city, I'd probably adapt to it and then start enjoying the city and then not enjoying the bush so much because tick bite fever is a real nasty bugger to be working with. Yeah, I've had tick bite fever a few times myself, and I must say it does not get better. It, it doesn't at all. Um, I must say, being a city girl, I can't think of anything better than escaping to the bush, but I get what you're saying about adapting to your new life. I understand that. No, exactly. I mean, what you you've lived in the city pretty much your entire life, so... And then you have holidays to the to the bush or occasional weekends to the bush. So that's your lifestyle. But if you had to swap it around, you might enjoy going to the city maybe once in a while just to have a change of scenery, go to the concrete jungle instead of the actual jungle. Exactly, yeah. You worded that so well. Well, let's get back to the bush then because that's where you prefer to be. All in all. So have you ever had a near-death experience? And I know it sounds pretty dramatic, <laughs> but be it with a snake, a spider, or a big cat even. Uh, it's been quite a few, to be honest. Just last year, I was pretty much stalked or walked into lions seven times while I was busy looking after pangolins. So it was potentially seven times I've been walking down a river before looking for frogs. And when I've turned my back, there's been seven lions just sitting behind me a good 45, 50 meters away, just watching me. Um, but I do, however, have a story when I was younger. And now my dad tells me this because I was too young to remember this. Uh, I think it was when I was about six years old um 
So one of the properties here on the reserve used to be owned by an outside guy and he used to have like tigers, leopards and all of that. Not 100% sure what it was for, but he had them in these like breeding enclosures. So one day we were walking down, my dad, myself and the owner of this place and I was I was slacking a little bit behind, a good maybe five meters or so. And apparently the we were looking for the leopard in this enclosure, but we couldn't see it. And as we were walking down, I was a little ways away from the, the grown-ups. And apparently the leopard came and actually hit the fence right next to me where I was. So if there wasn't a fence, I don't think I'd be having this conversation with you tonight. Well, I'm very much glad there was a fence. Sure, that's quite hectic, eh? <laughs> I can say that I'm not that exciting <laughs> compared to you. <laughs> now thinking of it, my only near-death experience, if you can even call it that, was probably when I was also around that age, about seven. I was running around Lower Sabi Camp, um, which is in the Kruger National Park for those who are unaware. Anyway, I was running around with, you know those friends you make with the neighbor's kids that you're camping around with? <laughs> Ah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so anyway, we're all having a ball until I look down and realize that there's a literal snake right under my foot. Now, the only thing I remember after that is little me running away like a bat out of hell to my parents to go over-exaggerate about how I nearly died. But hey, I think we've all been there. I mean, especially when we're younger, we, we over-exaggerate a lot of things. But no, snakes, even when you're young, like snakes are a big fear for a lot of people. I mean, even right now, living here in Zululand, we've got, you know, the good old black mamba, Mozambique spitting cobra, puffadder. So quite a lot of snakes that want to hurt you and that can hurt you. Um, not too long ago i was walking again with pangolins and i had a mozambique spitting cobra sort of throw its hood right in front of me uh i have no idea what sounds are made but i remember i was screaming but other than that i was screaming and running so even to this day i'm uh, what i'm wary about the venomous critters out there yeah i remember you telling us that story I think my snake was, I think I later identified it as a brown house snake, but I think I went to go tell my parents that it was some like, some rattlesnake with like a Mozambique and spinning cobra mixed into it, like some super breed, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you found yourself a new yeah, species. <laughs> made up some species overnight. <laughs> okay, so now moving on a bit. Um... Wait, while we were chatting, you mentioned that you wanted to be a wildlife vet or a professional hunter. And I, for one, I'm very glad you changed your mind about the latter. <laughs> but when did you really start to put your mind to what you really wanted to do? And I guess that is focusing on a career in birding. Yeah, so being a wildlife vet, that, that didn't last too long. I did not enjoy school and I knew I wasn't going to get the grades to, to even be looked at to become a vet. Um, and a professional hunter, I wanted to be that because at a young age, I enjoyed hunting 
and my dad used to be a dangerous game professional hunter so I sort of wanted to follow in his footsteps because you know when you're young your parents are your role models and you look up to them and you want to be like them so that's that's where that idea came from but as I started aging I started getting more interested in my birding and slowly but surely that formed and changed into a real passion of mine and I literally only thought about birding and I uh, wanted to incorporate birding into a full-time job and career and that's where I combined the two guiding as well as birding into one so that's what I am currently doing now I do I do nature guiding and every now and again I go and I do bird guarding, but that is going to be changing real soon. It's going to be more bird guarding than nature guarding. Wow, that's really exciting stuff. It's so cool that you've incorporated your passion of what you've always loved doing as a job because I know many people have their passion, but then they go work a nine-to-five office job in the concrete jungle, and it's very cool that you've incorporated your passion into like what you want to do with your life I find that so fascinating but now I guess a bit of a personal question from me is do you actually see yourself now becoming a vet or a hunter I definitely not no 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 that's uh it went it went in one ear went into the brain became a little idea and then a few months later down the line it went out the other ear and never got thought about again Okay, so you recently um, returned from a six-month, I think it was, trip to Ecuador. That sounded so, so incredible. Tell us about your trip and some of the places you got to see. Oh, no, that was uh, a life-changing experience, I must say. Definitely, definitely glad I got to do that and got the opportunity to do that. Um, No, it's just a a different experience, which I think is what I needed because just out here living in the bush, doing the same thing day in and day out, I needed a little bit of change and uh, made a drastic change, ditched the country, hopped over to a different continent and uh, started bird guarding at a little lodge in a cloud forest on the western slope of the Andes. I got to see a whole range of places I mean I went down into the Amazon rainforest around Tena, Archidona and those are the two main cities, towns nearby um, I went down towards the coast to San Vicente which is in the Manavi province in search of a tiny little hummingbird no bigger than five centimeters only because it was an endemic to the country and I could not leave the country without seeing at least one endemic. I mean, going down into into caves in the search of an oil bird that is a really strange bird that uses echolocation and eats fruit. Um, waking up at half past four in the morning to drive an hour's away and as you're walking down this little path, you're just hearing all these different birds starting to call early in the morning. And then you get there to this little hide and it's just these big red blobs 
called Andean Cock of the Rocks, all just displaying right in front of you, a mere two, three meters away, all just for female attention. I mean, and then obviously, because I'm on the western slope of the Andes, when I want to go over to the eastern slope, you have to pass over the Andes. So I got to spend quite a lot of time up in the Paramo, which is the the high altitude grasslands. I mean, us here in South Africa, that would be sort of the equivalent to our high fault grassland. And that is a completely different habitat. Now you're out of forests. Now you're in this grassland. There's moss everywhere. Uh, barely any trees. The only trees up there is um, polylepis and... Again, because Ecuador is so small, there's so many different birds just everywhere. And a lot of them are range-restricted, altitude-dependent, tree-dependent. Like in those polylepis fields, there's giant conebill, excuse me, that you only get in polylepis. And they are extremely, extremely difficult to find. They they are quite rare. But yeah, I mean, back up in those that high fall that paramo and you're getting things like mountain tapir which is a extremely rare mammal that i believe there's less than 2500 left um things like andean or spectacled bear that live up there eating on these sort of like tree bromeliads and eating berries and they they're also quite a restricted species to see wow so it sounded like you had quite the experience there sure um i can just imagine how stunning it must have been like how you're describing it wow one of my bucket list destinations is the amazon actually but saying that i've actually got a really long list of dream places (laughs) might take quite a while and i gotta start saving up sometime (laughs) no definitely i must say put the Amazon on top of that bucket list because the way that the world is changing, it might not be around for too much longer. So I suggest you go and see it in its glory. Yeah, that's the unfortunate part. It's the reality we actually face nowadays that we have to think about. But wait now, moving on a bit, but still talking about your birds. (laughs) Um, I know that Southern Africa has close to nearly a thousand bird species. Well, that's at least what my Robert's bird guide tells me. So anyway, um, but how about Ecuador? Their totals are much, much higher, I believe. Yeah, so in Ecuador, I believe there's around 1,657 confirmed bird species seen sort of within the, the boundaries of Ecuador itself, as well as including a few species on the Galapagos, which fall under Ecuador. But I mean, if you think about it, Ecuador is, it's its a tiny country. You could probably fit two, two and a half, three Ecuadors in inside South Africa. Um, and for them to have sort of 0.6 more bird species than us, it's uh, everywhere you go, there's a bird or multiple birds. You're walking around in the cities. And here you have hummingbirds flying past you. I mean, I got my giant hummingbird, which is the largest hummingbird in the world. I think it's around 24, 25 centimeters big. Walking around the town Tumbaco. Um, so literally everywhere you go, there's something to see. 
Okay, wow, that's so fascinating. So it sounds like a true birder's dream. Um, I learned something new today. That's so cool. And how many of those birds did you personally see in Ecuador? So, <laughs> on three of my holidays, I didn't really go birding. I spent it with um, a friend of mine and we were just relaxing pretty much. But I ended on 535. The Amazon added quite a lot. I was only down there really for about a day. Um, and I got 132 birds on that little excursion into the Amazon. So if I spent quite a lot more time in the Amazon, I most likely would have brought back a very much higher bird list. But that the country hasn't seen the last of me and that I can can assure you. Well, exciting stuff. Can you imagine though spending a week in the Amazon? How much you'd find? That would just be incredible. And there's just so much to see in the Amazon from mot mots calling above you and then you walking down this little trail and now you have all of these little ant birds following an army ant swarm just picking off all of the insects that the ants are disturbing i mean ant birds ant pitters ant shrikes i mean all of these birds have ant in their name which clearly indicates that they're following ants and they they have this relationship with ants it's it's something that you've never experienced in your life and it's 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 really interesting to to be able to sit there with a local guide and him just regurgitating all of his knowledge onto you and being the first for being the first time in a place like that I was just soaking everything up wow okay I can say it's definitely moved to the top of my bucket list now it's so it sounds like something straight out of a David Attenborough film <laughs> I can say that for free no Definitely. So now I'm sure that you get this question pretty frequently, like you get asked this pretty frequently, but what is your favorite bird species? Maybe let's start first with your South African favorite and then your South American one. Oh, the South, South or Southern African one, I must say it's it's between two. It's either between a Swinnerton's robin that you get in the Vumba Highlands in Zimbabwe, or it's the Powell's fishing owl, the the ginger giant, as uh, most people call it. Just those two species are real highlights for me for for being in Southern Africa and for South America. It's so my favorite, it, it actually got away from me. I heard it and it's a bird species and bird family that get away from a lot of birders. It's the banded ground cuckoo or the, the neomorphous genus. They're known for, for their bowl snaps. So I'm going to try and recreate it here using my fingers. Um, but this is what you hear running around on the forest floor, and when they start calling, this is what you hear. I don't know if you could hear that, but it's it's bow snaps, and that's pretty much all that you you hear, and uh, that's the closest that you, you usually get to it. But now with a lot of people putting down feeding stations and uh, timing them up, they've become relatively easier to see, but still extremely, extremely difficult to to see. 
So that that has to be my favorite South American bird that got away from me. That sounds awesome. Oh, I can just imagine it. See, I'm glad that you actually answered that one the way you did. Because I did an interview a couple days ago and when asked what my favorite bird was, Wade, I kid you not, I panicked. All the bird species I know, like kind of just escaped my brain and I just said lilac breasted roller. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, it is a very colorful bird, so... I mean, it's a good default favorite bird. <laughs> I've never been so embarrassed before. I do believe that the lilac breasted roller is the most photographed bird in Africa. Oh, you're coming in with your facts, hey? Fancy. <laughs> <laughs> your guiding's coming out, but let's touch on guiding for a moment. Um, What challenges do you face as a guide? And is it all sunshine and rainbows, like it seems? <laughs> I mean uh we we get we get blamed for quite a quite a few things by the tourists when and or if things go wrong which uh isn't always nice to to be hearing negative things about yourself by a whole bunch of people so I mean that, that's one of the challenges but I mean you get used to it and you find ways of working through it and sort of calming down the guests um apart from that I mean seasonality is a is another big one uh it's a challenge for us guides because I mean someone's you rocking and the work is just coming in you're getting those good tips loads of guests and then other months you're just struggling to sort of keep your head above water I mean few guests here and there not not such a good month and the amount of hours that you that you actually do work it's i mean especially in summer summer you're out from about 4 four thirty in the morning to like seven ish you come back you're hosting breakfast you go take a little nap before you know it you're awake again to come and host lunch and then after lunch you're busy getting everything sorted for your afternoon game drive afternoon game drive you got at like 3 three thirty four ish come back at pretty much 7 seven thirty, dependent on the activity of the afternoon and then you still have to host dinner and tell stories around the fire for your guests and then you, you're looking at pretty much going to sleep at 11 at night and then you're up again early morning 3 34 ish to go out again so it's a lot of hours on the job sure i could never i take my hat off to you guys because because you know people can be difficult sometimes let's face it no no definitely a lot of people have expectations and when you don't meet the expectations you get a mouthful so yeah that that just all boils back down on we get blamed for a lot <laughs> Oh, I can imagine. And now I'm kind of relating to this. So this question, I don't know. It's something that I've really wanted to ask a guy before, but I never have. So I want to paint the picture for you. You have guests for just a day and they're extremely quiet, meaning you 
really have your work cut out for you. <laughs> so what is your go-to, like, break the ice conversation starter? If that doesn't get them into the vibe, what do you do? Oh, I mean, I, I don't really have a story to go to. I mean, I've, I've had guests that are quite quiet, but what I do is... Like when we come into a sighting, I, I make them ask me questions. So that gets them chatting and then I give them the answers. And then they, with all of the questions, then they start chatting and they feel a lot more comfortable with themselves. I mean, I, sometimes I just throw in a few quirky jokes here and there and just be like, all about the guests, like constantly asking questions and just getting them to engage at the end of the day. I mean, like one of the jokes that I usually just throw out there, I mean, if it makes them laugh, it makes them laugh. If it doesn't, well, then I try something different. But it's like, I ask the guests, do you know why when warthogs run away through the grass, their the tails raise? And they're like, hmm, no. And then I'm like, because they have tight skin. So when they close their eyes running through the grass, that's why their tail stands up. And that usually gives gets a little chuckle out of them. Uh, not, not, not always. Some, some guests are a little harder than, than others. I mean, also often these guests are, are quite quiet because they, they're pretty wary and worried that something might happen because it is most likely their first time in the bush. So, I mean, I've had some guests ask if rhinos are going to jump in the vehicle. And, uh, I mean, it may sound silly to us, but, I mean, people that don't know, they, they're they going to think the worst and uh, think things that will never happen. <laughs> but, you know, when, once you explain everything to the guests and they know they're safe and they're comfortable, you, you sort of see the guests' shoulders drop as they relax. That's usually when the questions from them start flowing and they become a lot more talkative and yeah they, then it's not like drawing water out of a rock okay well i can imagine that thank you because like i said i've always wondered what goes through a guy's mind in that situation when you've got like really quiet guests and you're like okay well i want to get a quite a good tip so what do i do <laughs> yeah and especially when the the animals aren't playing along it makes it a tad harder <laughs> i can imagine well you guys have a tough out there hey? yeah it's it's a little tough sometimes but for the most part it's uh it's pretty nice I can imagine. It must be pretty rewarding too. So moving on to my next question. This will excite you, Wade. <laughs> so you mentioned to me in a chat not too long ago that you have a long history with Rock Jumper. And it's so exciting to hear that you've actually joined the team as the youngest tour leader. So firstly, congratulations on this amazing achievement. It is truly incredible. But tell me about how this all came about and where your tours will be taking you. Yeah, no, thank you. It's uh, been a few years that me, the joining of Rock Jumper, it's, it's been lingering in the background. Um, I think I was around, oof, let me think now. I think I was around 13 years old when I uh, started birding with the, the CEO and founder of uh, Rock Jumper, or the Adam Riley, and I don't know, I must have caught his attention somehow, but he sort of mentioned to me that one day I will work for for his company, or Rock Jumper Worldwide Birding Tours, and now, what, seven years down the line, I've joined as the youngest member ever, and the first member born after 
the year 2000. So that is that is a real achievement on, on my side, and I'm happy, extremely happy, ecstatic, might say, some might say, to to have joined this world class guiding tour company. I mean, just some of the places that I have in my itinerary is obviously Southern Africa. Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Ghana, India, Bhutan, Borneo, Madagascar, Papua New Guinea, Antarctica. That's that's pretty much what I will be doing throughout next year and 2025. 2026, we'll, we'll have to see where that takes me, but hopefully it takes me onto the South American continent because uh, I'm, I'm yearning for, for tropical birding again. Wow, that is truly incredible. You're holding us 2,000 babies. Our name's high. I'm so glad. Um, but it's safe to say that you've got quite a lot <laughs> to look forward to, and I'm so, so jealous you're going to be traveling the world. But just saying, I am quite tiny, so I'll easily fit into your suitcase. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll think about it when I'm uh, flying off to the Amazon. I might give you a call and chuck you in the bag and take you with, eh? Okay, please don't forget about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but one thing that I can say... It's not it's not just pointing and saying, Oh, it's this bird, it's that bird. There's there's a lot more behind the scenes, a lot of paperwork, a lot of trip reports, trip lists, and uh I mean it's pretty much eighty percent paperwork and twenty percent guiding and saying, Oh, it's a Malabar whistling thrush or it's a black bellied whistling duck. So, I mean, a lot of people are under the false impression that it's just bird guiding, but it's actually a lot of paperwork. Well, I guess it's all worth it. Oh, no, definitely. Get to travel the world for free, pretty much. Get paid for doing what you love. So, I mean, not a bad circumstance to be in. Well, I think I can say for both of us that we are quite the chatterboxes. So, my final question to you today is, <laughs> if you could give any advice to me personally, as an avid nature lover, be it about birding, planning a trip, or even simply leaving me with food for thought, what would it be? I mean, this is one that you've probably heard before, but it's it's a really good piece of advice is to follow your dreams and passions and sort of see where it takes you. And at the end of the day, it's not what you know, but who you know. And if if you are planning a trip somewhere, be it birding or anything, sort of try and get some, some home ground knowledge. Try to source a person from that area that lives in the area, contact them. I mean, especially with birding, home ground knowledge is extremely, extremely valuable. So get into contact with a person to maximize your sort of birding opportunities and potentially like birding spots that only the local people would know about. I mean, there's some real gems out there when you start speaking to to the people on the ground in those areas yeah that's fantastic advice thank you I've, I've always been a firm believer of that it's not what you know it's who you know and I think you have 
you are like a pure example of following your dreams because and your passion because look at where it's taken you it's truly amazing well mr lee it's been really great having a chat to you and i can't wait to see what the future holds for you you've got some really really exciting stuff coming up so good luck for this exciting new chapter in your birding career and down the line let's get you back on the podcast no definitely thank you for having me it's uh been been fun chatting to you about all my little trips in in south america and ecuador and just talking about guiding as a whole in general so yeah i'll be happy to be back on the podcast sometime in the future and maybe we can talk about where i've been definitely we'll have to get you back on and this one's been one for the books so thank you so much no thank you thank you thanks for listening everyone and i look forward to recording my next podcast really soon until next time this is gabby sakura for the birding life youth podcast signing out